And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to, well, it's the week before Christmas. Uh, that's right, uh, right around the corner, of course. This is the last light trading week before we get to the Christmas break. And then, of course, come back from Christmas. It'll be the sprint into the end of the year. And thank goodness we get 2022 behind us. Hopefully 2023 will be better. Uh, we'll see. Lots of stuff going on over the weekend, though, between markets and, and, and other various things. Uh, of course, the headlines this morning everywhere. Elon Musk ran a poll over the weekend asking if he should step down as CEO of Twitter and he would abide by the results of the poll. So the poll is now closed. 57.5% of the voters voted yes, he should step down as CEO of Twitter. Um, however, a forthcoming recount of the vote will determine that 10% of those were bots, so he'll stay uh, in, in charge of Twitter. So, you know, I'm just, I'm guessing here. We'll find out what happens, but yeah. <laughs> So we'll see. There was a, definitely an election manipulation by the bots. So <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what the outcome of this is. Uh, however, here's the interesting part of the story. He said, "Now this is the interesting thing, right? So he buys Twitter, takes it public. So he owns the company. He can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, it's his company. And you know, but he has been smart enough to realize that he's a very polarizing figure and it's now affecting his other businesses. Of course, you know, we talked about last week, um, you know, a lot of the people who bought, you know, Teslas uh, from Elon Musk are now trading them in to buy other stuff because, well, they don't, they don't, he doesn't match their values anymore because of what he's doing with Twitter, you know, putting it back on free speech, this type of thing. So since he doesn't abide by their policies, they're getting rid of their Teslas, talking bad about the company. The company's been dropping in value. Um, so he recognizes that he's too polarizing of a character, much like Trump was, a very polarizing character that kind of divides the users between right and left. And that's not great for the company. And I think he recognizes that. So he says, okay, I'll step down. Well, you need a CEO to take over for him. And here's the interesting statement that he makes. He says, there is no one that has a plan to make Twitter grow that wants the job. There is no successor right now for the CEO position at Twitter. So, hey, dust off your resume, start sending it to Elon Musk on Twitter. Uh, say, hey, you're available for the job. We've got, we've got a CEO position available for somebody who can make Twitter profitable. That's gonna be the interesting story, right? How do you make the company profitable? Well, there's only one way that you can make social media profitable, right? Charge users for their usage, right? How many people will be willing to pay to be on Twitter? Would you pay $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month to be on Twitter, right? How valuable is it? This, this is the interesting thing about social media, right? Facebook, et cetera, you, it's all free to use, right? Because how do, what do, they, how do they capitalize on your usage, right? They sell you product, it's advertising. So that's the other model. You got to get the advertisers back. A lot of advertisers left, you know, Twitter after he took over and started promoting this fact that this is, you know, he's going to get rid of censorship and allow for free speech. They didn't like that, so they left. Um, so ad revenues dropped sharply for Twitter. So you need somebody that can come and bring those advertisers back to the company. That's going to be the challenge. How do you balance that free speech moniker of Twitter being the the, the town hall, you know, the town, sorry, the town square, right? 
and appease a lot of these companies that are more of the woke virtue signaling companies that have pulled advertising from Twitter. How do you get those guys back? That's going to be the question. So, you know, it's going to be a very interesting situation for, for Elon Musk, particularly since he spent $44 billion buying this company. Now, personally, he didn't put that much in. He's got, I think he's got right around 30 billion. I don't know the exact number, but he's got around 30 billion. I think he had 12 to 15 billion in loans from banks like Morgan Stanley and others. Um, so there is a, a reasonable risk now that Twitter goes into bankruptcy. We'll see what happens. But it is an interesting conundrum for him, right? Um, which one, what do I do? Do I stay in charge of Twitter, try to make it a viable company, or do I go back to running Tesla, which by the way, Tesla stock is down about 60%-ish this year. And losing market share, of course, because other electric car companies are coming online. GM, Ford, others are bringing out cars and taking market share slowly away from Tesla. Even though Tesla is selling more cars than they were before, they're losing market share because of other competitors. And that was inevitable. That was always going to happen. So, you know, Elon Musk has a choice to make. Do I run Tesla, get it back on track to making uh, money and being profitable, continue to innovate the electric car industry? So I've got SpaceX to take care of, and now I've got Twitter to deal with. So I need somebody to come run Twitter. So again, if you've got an idea about how to make Twitter successful, send Elon your resume. You know, a lot of kids in college right now need a job. Um, Friday, of course, uh, markets sold off. Now, we've been talking about this here for a bit that um, markets were going to sell off. And the problem that we had, of course, you know, as we got, as we were heading into the first two weeks of, of, of December, uh, back in November, I kept repeating, hey, first two weeks of no December tend to be sloppy, tend to be weak, be careful. Uh, the last two weeks tend to be a lot better because that's the end of year window dressing. Well, here we are. Uh, last two weeks of December now coming up, and markets did sell off very nicely last week. We gave up all that CPI gain. Uh, of course, a very hawkish Fed caused the market to sell off. Friday, we actually broke below the 50-day moving average. Test, you know, testing the bottom of that on Friday this morning. Markets are going to open up a little bit this morning. We'll see if we can get some follow-through. S&P futures are up about nine and a half points right now, so not a real strong open, but a little bit of a positive open after four days of selling. Uh, not surprising, get a little bit of a bounce here. The, you know, two issues going on, very light trading over the next few days. Basically, all the traders are gone. They're, they're out for the holidays. Uh, in fact, Brent and I are going to be gone. What day are we leaving? We're going to Grandma's house when? We're going, uh, we're going to go out uh, Wednesday. Wednesday morning we go to Grandma's house. We're going to Grandma's house on yeah. Wednesday. So Grandma's S house See you Wednesday. next year. Exactly. We'll be, because well, Grandma makes the best cookies. So we're going to hang out there at Grandma's house, eat cookies, <laughs> be back next year. Well, but everybody's leaving. So light trading for the rest of the week here. Um, this is where potentially we got oversold enough last week. In fact, in our newsletter, we were, we, in our market sector analysis that we publish in our newsletter each week at realinvestmentadvice.com, um, if you look at that, every major market sector is pretty much oversold for the most part. So that gives us an ability to here to have this kind of reflexive Santa rally. So that's the good news. The bad news is, of course, the MACD signal, uh, sell signal still intact. That suggests that any rally we're going to get is going to be somewhat limited but it's probably a, a reasonable trade, right? If you want to try to pick up a trade here, um, you know, 
like buy some S&P 500 index or whatever, uh, there's a reasonable trade to be made here over the next week or two heading into the end of the year. Now, there's no guarantee it'll work, right? Just markets are oversold enough here on a couple of different fronts that you could get a reflexive rally, uh, which might get you back up into the, you know, the 3,900 to 3,950 range, you know, get back up here, start trying to test this previous consolidation range that we were in. And this is really kind of the big risk, you know, for the markets here over the course of the next, you know, really few weeks is that we had this very broad consolidation range that we were trading in going all the way back to the beginning of November. We broke that to the downside. So, so the risk here is, of course, that is now gonna be pretty major resistance for the market to try to get back up into. So, you know, kind of think about a ceiling overhead and trying to go from the floor you're on to the, the next one, you gotta get through that ceiling. Uh, that's really the, the challenge the markets are gonna have here. But again, light trading volume, a lot of capital needs to be put to work by the end of the year. So there's certainly the fuel here for a decent rally and, and really not a lot of news uh, left between now and the end of the year. So, you know, uh, you can trade it carefully, but be careful. Uh, you know, we talked about raising capital, you know, raising cash levels and reducing equity risk, you know, for the last several weeks, that turned out to be good advice. But now, uh, you know, you've got a tradable opportunity in the year end. All right, that's uh, segment, we'll be back. Got to talk about SBF requesting extradition back to the U.S. And I'll tell you why he's doing it right after we get back to the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's a real investment show this morning. So, Brent, let me ask you a question. Why do we send people to prison? Oh, it's a, a corrective measure. Right. So, yeah. so, what, so supposedly, if I send you to prison, then, you know, it's you shouldn't do that, whatever you did before, right? right? You yeah. committed some crime, you, you know, killed somebody or robbed something. Contemplate whatever. your sins and correct your behavior. Correct your behavior. Correctional facilities, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, when people get out of prison, you know, they typically can't get a job, right? People have a tendency not to want to hire a criminal. Convicts. <laughs> Convict, yeah. You know, why were you convicted? Um, because I robbed a store, right? Mm -hmm. And you're applying for a job at a retail store. Ain't going to happen. Yeah, probably yeah. not going to happen, yeah. right? So, so it makes it very tough. And, and so... Yeah. You have a lot of, you know, recidivism rates in the U.S. are 68%. So basically two-thirds of the people that get out of prison wind back up into prison because 
you know, the, essentially they go, you know, it's really not that bad. I got cable TV. I had a library, got to work out every day, you know, three squares, three square meals, right? That's, you know, it's not terrible in U.S. prisons, right? But maybe that's the problem. But maybe therein lies the problem is that, you know, we've gone for, you know, decades, you know, improving the quality of prison life because if you're in prison, you know, a lot of concern about mistreatment of prisoners, et cetera. And, you know, we need to make things better for people in prison so that you know, they get access to the Internet. They have television. You know, they're in prison. But, you know, we need to make things fairly you know, decent for them. Right. You know, we need to be we, we need to be human beings and treat them with a with a standard of of human dignity. Regardless of their crime. Right. Pedophiles murderers, whatever. It doesn't matter what the crimes are. We need to treat them a level of human dignity. Now, why am I telling you this? <laughs> so I used to, you know, back in my earlier life, I traveled around the world and, and uh, I lived in a lot of different countries. And prisons in other countries are not like the U.S. They're terrible places, horrible places. Um, when I lived in Spain, a good example um, guy got arrested and thrown in prison. And they weren't even sure if he had committed a crime or not. And they threw him in jail. <clears throat> and uh, six months later, they figured out, you know, that he didn't actually commit the crime. But he'd been in jail this whole time. And, of course, when he left, you know, he you know, was malnourished and not in great shape. Uh, coming out of prison and and you know he were you know they interviewed him and he was talking about being in, in, in a Spanish prison and you know days without any sunlight you know no food on many occasions rats and roaches and you know just just the most terrible of things to be in, in jail with right and of course crime is fairly low in Spain for a reason um, you don't want to go. And, you know, and, and, you know, that's the way it is in a lot of countries, right? You don't want to go, you don't want to go to a Turkish prison. Have you ever seen Midnight Express? I mean, <laughs> that's all you need to know about prison. But the point of, of prison in other countries is, is it's not a place you want to go. And so crime rates tend to be lower because there's a consequence of bad behavior, right? So if you commit a criminal act, the consequence is terrible, right? And so you don't want to do that. And, and, and the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, over the weekend, Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, now remember Sam Bankman-Fried with FTX. He's, got, he's been convicted of various forms of fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, et cetera. Uh, the federal... Uh, I'm sorry. And he's indicted. Um, <laughs> he has on the world stage, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's this thing called a court thing. Yeah, we haven't been through yeah. the court part yet, so you're correct. He has not been convicted. Uh, but anyway, he's been charged with wire fraud, you know, fraud, all kinds of stuff. In fact, uh, federal prosecutors over the weekend saying that the fraud started in 2019 when actually FTX launched. I mean, so it goes all the way back to the beginning. Well, he got arrested by the Bohemian authorities and put into the jail in, into jail in Bahamas. And after four days in the Bohemian jail, he said, get me out of here. I want, and he's asking, he's asking for extradition to the U.S. And, and let me just, this was from a, a news report last week. 
Um, the Bahamas prison where SBF was reportedly heading is harsh due to overcrowding, poor nutrition, inadequate sanitation, along with cells that are infested with rats, maggots, and insects. Now, that's that prison. Versus he'll come to the United States and he'll go to Club Fed, where he'll have you know access to color TV, library, internet, you know, three square meals a day, clean cells, etc. Right, so it won't be too terrible. They'll probably get Martha Stewart's old jail, the old cell. <laughs> On the wall, she, Martha was here. <laughs> Martha was here. <laughs> it's still decorated. <laughs> But, right, don't want to be in jail in another country. I mean, you know, you go to Mexico, last thing you want to do is wind up in a Mexican jail, right? And, and so I'm not saying, and, and look, here, here's the point I'm making. We have a 68% recidivism rate in the U.S. for a reason, right? If you don't have any other opportunities, jail's not a horrible thing. It sounds like, that sounds like a terrible thing, right? It's like jails, you, you shouldn't want to go to jail. But if you're living on the street and you have no other opportunities in the world, you know, jail's not the worst thing. And, and there's a lot of, of people that get into prison and they get out and they wind back up in prison again because it's not, they don't have another alternative. And, you know, it's, and again, there's not a reason to not want to go back to jail. Right, it's not such a horrible place, but it is interesting to see this happening. Maximum security. So this was uh, more from the report. Um, maximum security cells for men measured approximately six feet by ten feet, and held up to six prisoners with no mattresses or toilet facilities. Inmates removed human waste by bucket. Prisoners complained of the lack of beds and bedding. This is according to the report. Some inmates developed bed sores from lying on bare ground. Sanitation was a general problem, and cells were infected with all uh, cells were infested with all kinds of, of insects. Overcrowding, poor sanitation, and inadequate access to medical care were problems in the Bahamas Department of Correctional Services and men's maximum security block. The facility was designed to accommodate 1,000 prisoners, but is chronically overcrowded don't want to be in jail in the Bahamas. So when you go on vacation to the Bahamas, behave yourself. Or you'll be asking for extradition back to the U.S. <laughs> so anyway, um, he's coming back to the U.S., of course, and, and uh, you know we'll see how this... Th this is going to be a very interesting trial. Um, you know, he's already pretty much laid out his case in public and this is you know this is you know something that we talked about previously and you know he was going he, he did uh, an interview with the new york times and he did you know uh, did mul multiple public statements uh released a statement that he was going he was supposed to appear in front of uh senate to give uh, testimony he released a statement basically outlining all of his mistakes etc um you know did the whole kind of simple jack tour uh prior to his arrest and have pretty much laid out most of the case for the prosecutors um so this is going to be an interesting thing and of course um this will all be worth probably watching on a netflix special you know as soon as we get through harry and megan 
This won't be the Daryl Brooks trial. No, this will not be. <sighs> this will not be. My so, wife is hooked on that thing. I just have one thing to say about yeah. Harry and Meghan, right? Have you watched any of this? Not, okay. not so, a snippet. So it's one of the most watched things on Netflix. Really? Right? Yeah. People, people are just really into this. You know, but here's the thing about it. You know, Megan Barrett, and, and look, I haven't watched the whole thing, so I haven't got, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of it, but I watched a couple episodes. But this is what I pulled away from this, is that, you know, have you ever seen that show, uh, like on Bra? I think, I can't remember what station it's on, but these people will, will marry somebody from another country, and they have 90 Day, it's called 90 yeah, Day Fiance, yeah. right? So I haven't watched it, but I know about it. Okay, so... Yeah. So they're, you know, they get, they, you know, they want to get them a green card. So they mm-hmm. meet, they fall in love online, right? And then they're, they have 90 days to get basically married to get their visa uh, to, to, to the U.S. Yeah. And so these American women will fall in love with some guy like in Nigeria or whatever. And then they get all upset because the guy wants them to change to their customs, right? You have to, you know, it, you know, it, you know whether it's wearing a burqa or following some, you know, Muslim tradition or Nigerian tradition, whatever it is, and multiple wives, and then of course the, the the woman gets all upset because it's like, well, that's not the way we do it in America. Well, you're married a guy from another country. <laughs> this is what I took away from Meghan Markle is like, you know, here you're this American girl who marries this prince, and now you want to change hundreds of years of the monarchy. <laughs> It's not like, well, gonna happen. In, in America, <laughs> we don't curtsy. You do here. <laughs> if you're going to get on the Titanic, act like you're on the Titanic. Go down with the ship. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. All right. Be right back after the break. We got real stuff to get into. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.33. Um, markets are up about 10 points on the S&P this morning. Dow's up about 61 right now, trying to get a little bit of a bounce. Markets closed below the 50-day moving average on Friday, um, which, you know, is kind of troublesome, troublesome because, you know, it's certainly not the position we wanted to be in heading into 
Christmas. But as we've said, you know, basically nobody's around now between now and the end of the year. It's just inmates running the asylum. So with markets oversold here short term, you know, the potential for a trade higher, um, it's certainly in a better position than it was last week. Uh, markets are oversold short term. We've had a good bit of, of runoff in stocks. And so there's a lot of under positioning and equities going into the end of the year that'll have to get put back on. But interestingly, though, I mean, people just really at this point, they're just tired of hearing about the markets. Right? It's just like, oh, my God, just, you know, let's, can we just get the year over with? And that's really kind of where, you know, we're getting to in a lot of cases. Just let's just get this year over with and let's, you know, kind of move on. You know, I, you know, I don't know what next year is going to bring. Um, once we get into 2023, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of rate hikes, um, right? Um, recession, no recession, what's coming? Um, can we avoid a recession is going to be the, the big question. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of concerns we have moving into the new year that we haven't really resolved yet. And, and so while I know we're tired about hearing about the markets now, um, I just don't see how it gets a, you know, we kind of get back to the bull mode, you know, early next year. Now I think, you know, and, and I said this on Charles Payne the other day when I was with him, I said, hopefully by this time next year, we'll be talking about, you know, a bull market in equities. And hopefully we'll have a lot of this stuff behind us and we'll be back to more positive, you know, action in the markets and back to making money. And so between now and then, it really just becomes a function of survival, right? Just surviving this period we're in and, you know, getting us to the position to where we can start making money again. And we'll get there, right? It's just, it's just a function of time. But this is just one of those periods that we've just kind of got to grind through it. And, and it, it sucks, unfortunately, just the way it is. Um, but we just kind of got to grind through this until we can get to the other side of it. We've got to factor in you know, all these rate hikes, bring inflation back down, deal with earnings that are still elevated, you know, so forth and so on. You know, to be sure, there's been a very significant change in the macro sentiment uh, and positioning this year. Um, and a lot of investors are off sides, very negative sentiment on, on many places. You know, there's a lot of leverage that was in the market that has been worked out of the market. So that's good news, right? So from you know a lot of the margin that people were taking on margin debt, et cetera, a lot of that's been reversed. And, you know, fortunately, one thing that has happened to help keep markets somewhat stable has been a massive rotation of funds out of active fund managers into passive ETFs. And as we've talked about before, you know, the problem with passive investing is that it just fuels money into the top 10 stocks mostly. About 30% of every dollar goes in the top 10 stocks of the index because of market cap weightings. And so that's that's actually helped markets this year, this shift and, and these continued inflows into passive ETFs have actually helped mitigate what probably should have been a much deeper decline in the overall market that we didn't have. So there is some, some light to this as we move into next year. If those passive inflows do continue, it could help mitigate further substantial downside in the markets. Now, Again, we can resolve valuations a couple of different ways. One, prices decline and earnings go up, right? Valuations come down. 
another way that you can resolve valuation issues is earnings rise and prices don't go anywhere. And another way, of course, is that if prices do go up, earnings have to go up a lot faster and don't really see that happening. But, you know, we get earnings that maybe don't come down as much as expected. Maybe we do somehow manage to avoid a recession. Something else happens, you know, uh, Fed reverses course, starts lowering rates and doing QE, whatever it is. And we can get valuations down without markets having to decline substantially more. Now, this past weekend, actually on Friday, I laid out the valuation math going into next year. And look, targets range everywhere from 2,400 to 4,500. And I laid out four different scenarios of where markets could be next year based on valuations and earnings. Made some assumptions. But, you know, that's the problem with where we are right now. There's so many different varied outcomes next year. It's hard to bet on just one. And this is, this is one of the mistakes that I, I continue to caution you about. There's a lot of people running around right now, and they're going, oh, well, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, so you need to be all in gold, or you need to be all in commodities, or, or whatever it is, okay? And that's a very dangerous position to take, because so many things can happen that will deviate from that outcome. Yes, there is a case for, for gold. If real yields start to perform better, gold should perform better because gold is a function of real yields. But what if inflation doesn't come down as much as we expect, right? What if inflation goes back up next year because of wages? There's, there's things that could happen. Um, you know, so be careful with these kind of doom and gloom scenarios where this is, you know, the end of the world is coming and you need to be all in a bunker, right? There's so many things can happen that will keep that from happening. I'm not saying it won't happen, right? It could very well happen. But it's a, it's a much smaller possibility in the worlds of probabilities. So just try to keep a balance on some of these views. And, and look, there's a lot of views out there that next year is just going to be rip-roaring for equities, you should be long all the most risky equities, right? Small cap, mid cap, emerging markets, international. Um, they're going to perform tremendously better next year, maybe. But if you have a global recession, maybe not. So that's the risk. What we have got to do is, is we've got to kind of just wait a little bit, be a little patient. And instead of making bets based on expectations, allow the market to tell you where to put your capital to work. Now, there's some obvious bets out there that you go, well, you know, where things are right now, you know, I think a dollar, a weaker dollar is probably a likely outcome, but there's things that could make it get stronger. Yeah. So just be careful. Let the market tells you, tell you where you need to invest. Yes, you're going to miss the bottom, but Missing the bottom is better than making a bet that is wrong and getting trapped in the wrong trade, hoping to get out of it, which is what happens to most investors. You know, part of my lack of excitement right now about getting engaged in risky assets at the moment 
is the unknown outcome of the Fed of Fed policy. Right now, again, this is another one of those things. I mean, we can look at Fed policy and say you've just gone through the most aggressive rate hiking campaign in history, for the most part, since the eighties, and we haven't even witnessed the outcome of those rate hikes yet because of the lag effect, which will have an impact on risk assets. And the problem is we don't know what that outcome will be. Will it be a soft landing scenario? Or will it be one of those periods where the Fed can hike rates and then the economy just slows down a little bit but doesn't go into a recession? Do earnings, can we maintain earnings 20% above the long-term trend indefinitely? That's why I'm having a hard time getting excited about buying equities right now. Even though we might get a tradable rally here, can't really see this idea of a return of the bull market in January happening. Could it happen? Absolutely. But there's certainly some risk here that I think is worth paying attention to. You know, and this is, and, and really, you know, we've had three years of really spectacular asset performance on a macro level, right? 2019, 2020, 2021. Even though you had a, a brief little 30% drop in, in assets in March of 2020, you quickly recovered all that because of massive intervention. So on the macro basis, you, you've had just phenomenal returns out of equities the last three years, which are you know somewhat unsustainable. And so you kind of start to to to, to understand that. You know, feeling a little bit anticlimactic about 2023 without those tailwinds, right? You don't have quantitative easing. You don't have zero interest rates. You don't have government stimulus checks. You don't have, you know, a strong economy. Just something to pay attention to. Okay, we'll come back. Look, we'll, uh, like I said, nobody really wants to talk about markets anyway right now. So we'll come back and wrap up the show. Don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
the show this morning. All right, get ready to wrap it up here. A um, couple of things, uh, you know, as we head into, as we were saying, you know, heading into next year, there's certainly some concerns, uh, economically speaking. Uh, here's a, uh, in Yahoo Finance this morning, um, in their, their morning commentary, they had some comments from various CEOs of, of different companies. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby, he is seeing pre-recessionary trends in his business. Demand is still strong, as you know we saw in uh, Delta's guidance last week. But forward-looking bookings are softening. So in other words, people you know having to start to cut back on travel here a bit. Costco, of course, um, one, one of the companies we're long in our portfolio, love that company. They're about to raise their membership fees, which is a beautiful thing. Talk about a, a cash business, right? There's no, that's a, like a 100% margin business issuing out those cards, right? Come shop at Costco, get a $1.50 hot dog, slice of pizza, vanilla ice cream, go shop, right? Uh, and pay $119 for a membership fee, and that's going up. So Costco is seeing mixed sales trends in larger ticket discretionary categories such as TVs and jewelry, right? It's exactly kind of what you would expect. Where are you going to cut back, right? A lot of people had extra cash in 2020, 2021 because of stimulus checks, right? Hey, just got a stimulus check. Think I'll run out to Costco, buy me a new 85-inch television to watch the Super Bowl game, right? Well, first of all, two things happen. Once I bought a television, I don't need to buy another one for a while, Right. And two, I've spent the cash. So now I'm back to kind of pre-sales of where we were in, in TVs. But those are starting to, to soften. Same thing with jewelry. Got a bunch of extra cash. Been wanting a new watch. New bracelet, right? So starting to see those things reverse. Specialty apparel retailer Express disappointed investors this month in its results and outlook. CEO Tim Baxter struck a much more cautious tone uh, than the norm talking about slowing sales trends. VF Corporation, uh, which makes products like Timberland, North Face, Vans, Dickies, they warned on results uh, heading into the, you know, kind of the shopping days, right? Just here we are at Christmas. This is the time that, you know, people are buying that kind of stuff for Christmas gifts, et cetera. And warning of, you know, much softer sales on those items. Lululemon's fourth quarter guidance a few weeks ago back fell well short of estimates. But of course, you know, that's a function of a fact that they're a very high priced retailer. So, you know, do I need to buy Lululemon? No, I don't need to. I can buy stuff of, you know, lower price. And that's where we're seeing shifting trends, right? People are having to start to cut back on those higher dollar cost products. November retail sales report last week, of course, was a total bomb, uh, which really kind of reinforces what Lululemon said, what VF Corp said, what you know Costco was saying. Retail sales were down much more than expected. And again, remember, retail sales are down on dollar volume, right? So that's one thing. But the cost of goods are higher, which means that actually that report was worse than what the headline said because people are buying less and they're even buying less in dollar volume now. So as we've talked about before, be careful of those retail sales numbers because people are spending more to buy less. Now they're spending less to buy even less, right? 
So that's why you're seeing these other trends show up in these retailers' reports. And as we go further into Christmas, I mean, this is going to be the Christmas to remember, so to speak. Um, once we go on the other side of this and we can look back and see what retail sales were for the Christmas shopping season. Again, a lot of people just now getting their shopping done. I haven't done mine yet. I'm waiting for the last possible minute, procrastinating as much as I can. Why don't you take Wednesday off and take care of that? I, I, I might have to do that. Yeah. I mean, I just need to get over to AutoZone and buy my wife a pair of jumper cables. So, <laughs> By the way, she was listening the other morning when I made that oh, comment. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got I got, got I a got charge a, out of that. Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> if you don't know, if you doesn't hear the joke, I said I was going to buy my wife a pair of jumper cables because she's always trying to start crap. So, <laughs> so how is the couch these days? The couch is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Morning, big, Christina. Yeah. <laughs> big name retail stocks, Walmart, Target have underperformed the S&P. And, of course, uh, one of the big you know, issues will be. And those are going to be kind of the two real key ones to watch. Now, next week, also, uh, we have Nike's reports. That's going to be really the bellwether for retailers because that's going to come right after Christmas. And so we're going to get really kind of first glimpse at – what Christmas looked like. I mean, if you didn't get a pair of Nike shoes for Christmas, maybe telling you something. So we'll we'll kind of get that first, you know, kind of hurdle as a litmus test, so to speak, uh, come come Tuesday when we hear uh, Nike's earnings. So, you know, again, these are the kind of the things to be looking for. You know, Thanksgiving was a bit weak. And, you know, it's very likely we'll see Christmas a good bit weaker. And that's going to really set the stage for whether or not this rally has legs and how much legs that it has in terms of a, a, of a Santa rally. Um, of course, it's also setting the stage for next year. Again, the big debate going into 2023 is going to be recession or not. Now, all I can tell you is that this morning... Markets are pointing higher. Dow's going to be up about 59 at the open. NASDAQ's up about 40, 50 points this morning. S&P's up about 10 or so. Um, that probably won't last because every time I go on Fox Business, the market crashes. I don't know why it is, but it's just the way it is. And I'm doing Fox Business today at uh, about 135 our time. Central time. Central time. Mark your calendars, folks. So at between 1 o'clock and one thirty-five, do don't be in the markets. I don't know why it crashes every time I go on Fox Business, but, and I'm generally bullish on Fox yeah. Business, right? I try to keep a bullish spin because that's what Charles Payne likes, but, you know. It's the Lance Roberts effect. It is the Lance Roberts effect. Everybody's like, oh my God, Lance is on again. Sell! Sell, Mortimer, sell! Lance is on Fox. Anyway. That's what happens. Um, there's some things that I think people should know by now. You know, in September 11th, you know, we have the attack on the World Trade Center. We began to lock down the world, right, so to speak, because of terrorism. And we supercharged the TSA with all kinds of powers, you know, to make sure that bad people don't go into airplanes, right? And I, I, I would think by now that most people would understand you can't take a loaded gun on an airplane. 
But apparently that message has evaded some people. This is a report from TSA. The Transportation Security Administration is out with a new report showing that TSA officers at airport security checkpoints seized a record number of guns in 2022. As of last Friday, and this is no small... Uh, now, how many guns would you think, right? Like 50 guns, 60 guns, maybe? You know, I mean, most people figured it out by now that you can't carry a loaded gun on an airplane. No, <laughs> we're not talking 50 or 60 guns. We're not even talking a couple hundred guns, right? As of last Friday, TSA agents found 6,301 firearms with more than 88% of them loaded, surpassing the previous record of 5,972 guns detected in 2021. Closing out the year, the agency expects a total of 6,600 firearms to be seized, a 10% increase over 2021's record level. What, are people just forgetting that it's in their luggage or for what? You pack a carry-on. So you're going, I need my toothbrush, I need my toothpaste, I need my deodorant, I need some underwear or socks, I need a snack, and a gun. Uh, <laughs> wait, you pack your carry-on. Yeah. Right? You don't just kind of forget about it. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I put my gun in there. I was just, you know, silly me. Statement from TSA. Firearm possession laws vary state uh, by state and local government, but firearms are never allowed. This is your I'm, I'm just this is your public service announcement. If you're planning on traveling for Christmas to grandma's house, firearms are never allowed in carry on bags at a TSA security checkpoint, even if the passenger has a concealed weapon permit. Do not bring your gun on an airplane. Maximum civil penalty is a. Uh, up to $15,000 plus the loss of the gun, which is not cheap. So unless you just like throwing away 15, 16 grand, you know, try to get your gun on airplane. Now, here's the only question. TSA is notorious for not catching a lot of stuff. Well, there's that. So yeah. if they if there were 6,000 guns that they <laughs> that they found, how many actually got on the airplane? Right. right? That's the yeah. that's the that's the other question. That's the story. Firearms are prohibited in carry-on bags at checkpoint and onboard aircraft. When a passenger brings a firearm at the checkpoint, this consumes significant security resources and poses a potential threat to transportation security. Please do not bring your guns on airplanes, quote-unquote TSA Administrator David Pekoski. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> now... If you want to take your gun with you, that's okay. Right? You can take your gun. It just has to be in checked baggage in a concealed, in a hard case container, right? You can take your gun. If you're going to grandma's house to, to shoot a reindeer, you can do that. Just pack your gun and properly and check it through your check luggage and pick it up when you get to the airport where you're going. It's okay to do that. Just don't take it on the airplane. People. It's not difficult to follow the rules. Anyway, that's it for today. I told you. I was tired of talking about the market anyway. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see how the market does today. I'll give you an update tomorrow on what to do. Uh, be sure to go by the website. Our latest newsletter is out talking about the rally this past, you know, coming up, the Santa, Santa rally a bit, and the potential for recession next year. That's all on the newsletter right now on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.